Hi, it's Chris Setta. Before we start this brand new episode, I wanted to give you a quick update about the show. Continuing the in-person interviews has certainly been a challenge in the face of this ongoing COVID-19 pandemic. While it's looking likely that the fall meetings will be postponed, I'll do my very best to continue to bring you a monthly episode. In the meantime, if you're a fan of this podcast, I could really use your help. I'd appreciate if you could share the show with your friends and followers. Simply click the share icon in your favorite podcast app. I'd also love if you could leave me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. My interview today was from a 10-hour excursion Nicole and I took to North Carolina back in mid-June. So please buckle up and join us on our journey as we're about to go on another road trip. I just really feel like from all facets, from lingual, labial, clear liners, it's just going to be digital. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Brian Lockhart. Do innovators see the world around them differently? In the book, The Four Lenses of Innovation, author Rowan Gibson describes the unique outlook of creators, which allows them to envision these big ideas. The first lens, challenging orthodoxies, is the willingness to question deeply entrenched beliefs and assumptions. Trailblazers are simply not afraid to challenge dogma. The second lens, harnessing trends, is recognizing the potential of emerging developments while embracing change. Leveraging resources is the third lens, which is repurposing existing skills and assets in new ways or combinations. The fourth lens is understanding needs, or simply paying attention to issues others have ignored while developing new solutions to problems. Today I would like to introduce you to Dr. Brian Lockhart, an up-and-coming innovator in orthodontics. Brian has made a name for himself by embracing digital technologies alongside his wife, Dr. Lauren Rennick Lockhart, in their practice. Brian has developed their own brand of in-house aligners, incorporated digital bracket systems, and has a patent pending on a new orthodontic product. Now the concept of looking through a different lens not only applies to innovation. America seems more polarized than ever, and you'll hear on today's show, Brian will challenge us all to look through a different lens to see others' perspectives. Welcome to the podcast, Brian. How are you today? I am good. Thanks for having me. It's uh, awesome. Of course. And uh, why don't you tell us where we're at? We are in the wonderful city of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm thrilled for today's episode. So we're recording for anyone who's following along at home. We're at the A-Loft in Charlotte. We're in a beautiful section called Ballantine. It's a really nice hotel. So kudos to Marriott. And they gave us a free room to record this. And guess what? We have a beverage today. What are we drinking, Brian? So you are drinking, I don't know what that is. Uh, well, this is this is a Noda Hop Drop and Roll. So I'm Wait, an did IP- you get that from here? I did, yeah. Because oh, yeah, so Noda, that's the side of town. We actually have a practice in, in Noda. Do so, you now? Yeah. We'll skip over the fact that you're drinking Chardonnay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but so you grew up in Decatur, Georgia, which is a suburb of the ATL. Yes. And tell us a little bit about your childhood. My parents divorced when I was super young, I think like one years old or something like that. And originally, my brothers and I lived with my mother 
uh, for all the way up until fifth grade. And then Atlanta Hartsfield, which is one of the biggest and busiest airports in the U.S., decided that they needed to expand. And the apartments that we stayed in were close to the airport. And um, they basically sent us a letter saying, hey, we're going to expand. You guys have to go. And at that time, my mother's from Columbus, Georgia, and she wanted to move back to Columbus. And so me and my older brother went to live with my father. So it was myself, my older brother, and my dad. And my dad, he worked for General Motors. And he he? used to do these crazy hours. So he would go to work at like 7 p.m. and wouldn't get home to like 7 a.m. And so we were in middle school, high school, staying at home overnight by ourselves. And I still remember when we first moved in, we were trying to figure all this stuff out. He was a bachelor at the time. You know, he had his own life. And when we moved in, it's like, okay, well, who's cooking? What are we going to eat? You know, it was all this stuff trying to figure <laughs> well, out. I think about that aspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's like, wh- how are we going to figure all this stuff out? And so we spent a lot of time doing that. But he kind of was more into school stuff. So, you know, he would have us doing algebra problems before we were even on that subject. And then my brother and I, we play sports all the time and watch sports all the time. But it was cool. It was a different uh, upbringing. I think it changed my life for the better. And mm-hmm. that's no disrespect to my mother because she sure. did what she she had to do. But it's something about having a father that really, I don't know how to explain it, but my trajectory in my life changed once we moved my father. So I know you attended Morehouse outside of Atlanta. Did you go in interested in dentistry or? I did. So going in, I knew what I wanted to do. And it came down to Georgia, University of Georgia and Morehouse. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I wanted to go to UGA because they had a section or a major for Mm pre-dentistry. And I was like, oh, well, then that's perfect. And whereas Morehouse, Mm -hmm. they didn't have that. And so it was either you do biology or chemistry or whatever you want to do. But UGA had a particular thing specifically for dentistry so that was like okay that's where I'm going and then after I got accepted I got a lot of this you know minority this minority that which in hindsight I mean they were they were trying to be inclusive and to I guess let me know that hey you know there's a community here that will make you feel comfortable or whatever the situation is um and it kind of I don't know it turned me off a little bit and then Morehouse was sitting right there for the pig. And for people who don't know, Morehouse is not just Morehouse, but it's unique. And it's that there were four HBCUs literally within a three mile radius. So back up a little bit. HBCU. Historically black college or university. OK. But the good mm-hmm. thing about that is you have all of these uh, schools and all of these students all there together. And mm-hmm. so the experience was I mean, it was second to none, and it was something that I think really helped me kind of figure out what I wanted to do, who I wanted to be, because you got people from all over. Because um, sometimes when you get to you know certain schools, you just kind of draw locally. Um, sure. But because there were different ones, and you know Morehouse, especially for you know African American men, it's one of the top universities. You got Howard, you have some other schools, but sure. Morehouse is kind of like one of the top ones. So you're getting some of the smartest people, you know, to come there and. You know, we did have a few Caucasian counterparts to attend, but for the most part, it was, uh, you know, African-Americans. And so you were getting some of the top tier uh, people to go to the school. So the experience was amazing. Interesting. So, you know, we're recording this mid-June and racial injustices are really coming to the forefront here. George Floyd and a lot of protests are going on throughout the United States. So, you know, this is an important topic, I think, to discuss and have a conversation about. 
And so as you transition, you went to dental school at UNC. How was that different from being on an HBCU and then going to probably a little bit more of a, a mixed <laughs> environment? I don't know if I would call it mixed. No, you think it's, it's mostly white yeah, at, at Chapel Hill? Absolutely, okay, Absolutely. But the thing is, it was sort of a culture shock a little bit. Because if you think about it, from elementary school all the way up to high school and all through college, I went to school with pretty much all black. You know, it was just predominantly mm-hmm. black all the way through. And then I show up to Chapel Hill and it's like a total different situation, total right. different ball game. And it was different in the sense that how things happened were different. And what I mean by that is you kind of project how you were brought up, the things that you did, your cultures, just that and the other. And for me, one of the things that I had to kind of adjust to was I don't know, like, when I grew up, I played basketball, very good, uh, you know, Final Four, state championship, look me up, Google me, but... Even for a short guy, how, <laughs> Brian, just for our listeners, how tall are you? Like 6'4", maybe? 6'4"? Well, no, you're, stre- you're stretching, no, no. bro. I'm 5'10". You're shorter than me, come on. <laughs> I'm 5'10". <laughs> but, um, but you know, growing up in that culture, though, we, we talked about each other, we owned each other, yeah. and so that kind of thing... I had to really tone it back because, you know, I had to realize, okay, listen, people are not going to receive that sort of thing, how people you used to hang around would receive it. And so just things like that. I mean, it wasn't like I didn't know white people existed and I never saw a white person and I was just in, oh, my goodness, what is going on? But it was just a different type of uh, thing. And when we look at the situation that we have going on now um, and not to get too deep into everything, um, but it is one of those things where sometimes people lose or don't have the ability to have perspective. Mm -hmm. And when you can't see things through a different lens, that's when it becomes problematic. Okay. When certain things are brought up and put forth and they're dismissed as, Oh, you're just griping. Oh, you can't do anything. The community don't care about anything. You guys can't do this or can't do that ignoring the whole picture before that going back to history and seeing how things kind of played out dealing with racism dealing with redlining which you know uh, people of color having a higher interest rate for mortgages Hmm. you know different things like that you have all these other things that went into play that are rearing its ugly head now and then to have someone say oh well we did it you know you you just go out there and you grind and you make it happen and and yeah there are people who do that but there are a lot of people who are brought up in a system where it's just not designed for them to be successful and then those people have kids who are brought up in that same situation who then are already doomed from the start and yeah you get some people that get a scholarship here or some you know smart people that get out but the majority of people stay in this circle and it's just a revolving door and then all of a sudden you have this big group of people that are looked on as inhumane, as less than, and all this other stuff. And then when certain things happen to them, it's like, not that they deserved it, but it's kind of like, well, you know, they're in this certain section. It's almost rigged against them, yeah. So I think this is what, you know, not that I speak for all white people, but I think maybe this is something that we maybe had a little bit of a blind eye to, systemic, you know, racial issues and injustices. An example I like to give is if you're in a situation where you're in school, right? Let's say you are in seventh grade and you have this bully. All right. He bullies you all the time. And okay, one day you get fed up with it. So you tell the teacher. All Mm -hmm. right. The teacher says, 
okay, great, I'll do something about it. But the teacher knows the, the bully's parents, so they're friends, and so she gets the kid over, and she just gives him a slap on the hand. Nothing happens, okay? And then on top of that, the bully is looking at you in class, laughing like, ha, 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 nothing happened, you know, whatever, and then goes right back to bullying you. You tell the teacher again, the same thing happens, and it's a revolving thing sure. where it's going on, and you get to a point to where you feel like you're trapped. There's nothing you can really do to stop the situation, and so that's when anger gets involved. And so then when the kid who's getting bullied lashes out, then now this is this uncontrollable, violent kid, this thug, this all these other things. And it's like you are ignoring all of the things that led up to that because this is stuff that has been happening for a while. And there's numbers out there and it's not new, but it's one of those things that we have body cameras. We have all these other things that are kind of bringing it to the forefront to say, listen, this is a real problem and this is going on and it has been going on for a long time. When are we going to address it? And when we're met with you, you thugs are looting and rioting and then, yeah, I understand it. You're disrespecting the flag by kneeling. I get all of that, but you're ignoring what the real problem is. Mm. You know, I was listening to a podcast today and Kevin Hart was on and he said something I thought was particularly powerful. He said, The names change, but the skin color never does change. Exactly. You know, just talking about these different tragedies that have happened. I think now there's a lot of unified voices out there. Maybe it's time for a change and really looking at some of these different systems, like you said. And, you know, it's interesting because I think maybe a lot of white people, they look at Black Lives Matter and they say, well, all lives matter. Mm -hmm. And I think we're missing what that means, Black Lives Matter. So touch on that a little bit. There's two things that are the most common arguments against the, the movement. And the first one is all lives matter. And then the second one is, well, black on black crime is a problem, too. Touch on both. Yeah. So let's address the first one. The all lives matter. Mm-hmm. Of course they do. Most so, people are on the same yeah, page. With so them. it's like, OK, that's great. But let's address this issue that is happening and it is a known issue. Mm-hmm. So just because we're saying that black lives matter and we need to address this police brutality and all these other issues doesn't mean we forget about everything else that's happening in the world. Of so course. of course all lives matter. And I saw this little cartoon. It was a house that was on fire and the firemen were like, "Okay, we need to put this fire out on this house." And then the neighbor next door said, "But all houses matter." And it's like, yeah, that's great, but this house is burning, so we need to put this house out. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that your house isn't important, right. but this is the issue that we are addressing right now. So the all lives matter is kind of, yeah, I, I agree, they do. All humans should be looked at as such, but right now there is an issue that has been going on for hundreds of years mm-hmm. that needs to be addressed. So let's address that and stop deflecting it away from that. The other thing is... The black on black crime. Yes, that happens. And it kind of goes back to that scenario that I talked about. And it's not to make excuses for anyone. I mean, there's no excuse for people, you know, committing crimes, no excuse for people being in gangs and all this other stuff. It exists. Okay. But if you look at the scenario or the situation they were brought up in where you don't really have anything going on for you, you have to do something to make a living and to survive. And so, yes, that goes on. But again, it doesn't take away from the fact that police are killing black people at a higher rate than anybody else. And it's one of those things where your job is to serve and protect. And this is not a rant against the police. okay? but there are situations and there's a ton of clips out where you see people who are not of color. Mm -hmm. I saw a guy with a machete. What? A machete. (laughs) And somehow the police were able to de-escalate and apprehend him 
without shooting and killing him. Mm-hmm. But then you have people of color who are sleeping in their houses getting shot and killed. People who are running away yeah. getting shot in the back and killed. And so this differential treatment is what the real issue is. And I'm not saying give everyone a pass and give everyone an excuse, but sometimes you have to take a step back and try to look at it through a different lens to kind of get perspective. And I love that. And I think it's a great message. And man, do we get heavy on this podcast? We did. We are way too deep Dude, right now. <laughs> I think these are important issues that need to be discussed and they need to be brought to light. So, you know, I'm glad we're talking about it. But to tie back into the subject of orthodontics, you feel like there's racial injustices and maybe the orthodontic system getting into the program, being a black orthodontist. And I can't speak specifically to admissions and, and, and things of that nature. I'm not saying that it's a problem or or it's an issue, but people talk about diversity, but when you look at the profession, it's not very diverse. And that's with leadership, that's with speakers, that's with whatever. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, minority orthodontists out here Mm -hmm. that are president in these organizations that do a lot of great stuff. You would never know about them. Right. Well, not just with race, I think just between the sexes, too. I mean, the women in orthodontics movement, which I think is a great thing, and just, you know, trying to be more inclusive, I think is the way forward. You can't have diversity in many different ways. But when you have different experiences when it comes to certain things, it's good to have different viewpoints that may be a little bit different than what the majority is. And that's where diversity really comes in. And when you talk about inclusivity and all these other things, um, but then there's no diversity on the board, it's kind of hard to, to do that. Right. So I think this is a really important conversation that we had today. And we've hit on some heavy topics, but at the same time, you know, these are pressing issues in America. These are issues that sort of need to come out. And uh, I think when our stories sort of cross paths is at the point where we went to our residency programs mm-hmm. together and we both attended Jacksonville University. Yeah, Jacksonville. I mean, I, I think it was a blessing. I really think that it was probably the the best thing that could happen to me in terms of a residency mm-hmm. because it was everything that I needed in terms of being clinical. Sure. And so the great thing about JU is the patients were there. Right. We had patients that I started, patients that I took over, and I was able to really get experience. So it really talked to me in terms of my mode of learning. And I had some good times there, uh, as you know. We had it, good times? Yeah. Oh. We did. I still have a picture. Uh, I think it's on my Facebook. I don't know what it was for. Okay. But it was at your apartment, and we had like Hawaii gear on for some reason. You were making the drinks. Of I was course. probably having a tiki night or something. Probably. Like that. I don't know. Yeah. But I remember having it on. I'm like, why do I have that? And there's like this Hawaiian <laughs> glass with the straw. But, you know, for the people who don't know, the mixologists here could really make, you know, some great drinks. And I just remember having those kind of things at your apartment. Yeah. And the other thing that I remember, and you were kind of ahead of your time with this. Was I, was I don't know if you remember the idea club that you know this fake idea club that we had at JU uh, where you would kind of throw different things out but you talked about which happens a lot now having like a membership for retainers so you pay a certain amount and then you get like x number of retainers or whatever however you want to call it but now like a lot of offices implement that you're right we stumbled on that idea and we called it idea club back then because yes that's when shark tank kind of like was it was just it stopped, was like a know, thing and right? it was like it was big and it was like all about coming up with ideas like look hey what if we did and it was a lot of foolishness obviously <laughs> <laughs> that was thrown out there but i distinctly remember the whole retainer 
membership type deal that you were talking about way back then. That was what 2012. Uh, that that was a while ago, yeah. yeah. You know, we were so set on this idea and we thought we were going to be rich and famous was the idea of directly printing the aligners instead of printing the models and doing mm-hmm. some kind of vacuum formed aligner. And myself, and uh, I don't know if you're involved in this, I think uh, Jude Fairchild and Ben Fishbein were, we would just take a lapse walking around campus brainstorming on how we could patent this concept <laughs> of directly printing the aligners and become millionaires. And uh, you know what? You can have an idea, but it takes a lot more work to become a millionaire than just random ideas. Yeah, it does. I mean, the idea is the important part, but the execution is super important uh, as well. Um, So you actually went up to Jacoby Medical Center in New York, and you did a really interesting program up there. Yes. So Lauren and I were maybe the second residents to do it, but it was an orthodontic, orthodontic fellowship. And it was a position for people who have graduated orthodontic residency. And it was in combination with the oral surgery fellowship at um, Jacoby Medical Center. Okay. And they had a relationship with the local orthodontist in the area where they had this, you know, difficult, severe case. They would send them to the hospital. And if we got a case that was kind of, you know, standard orthodontics, we would refer back to them. So that's kind of how they set everything up. And it was centered around surgery and cleft lip and palate and all these other things. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about it was we were not residents, so to speak. And so there was a level of autonomy that we had to kind of do what we wanted. Now, the great thing about that is we would scrub in for the actual surgeries. And so, you know, that was paramount in in terms of being able to see the kind of struggles that these surgeons are facing when they're doing it. And so when you have these upper uh, sevens that have these lingual cusps holding down and they're in the surgery room trying to get a a decent occlusion, but they're only hitting on the sevens and they have to grind down the lingual cusp and all that kind of stuff. It kind of gives you a different appreciation for how to set these cases up. And so just being there and kind of seeing how they did things also allowed me to be able to communicate with my patients now. It just gave me a solid foundation in terms of really presenting the surgical option and really presenting it, not oh, yeah, you need surgery, but we can do this, this, take teeth out or do rubber bands and get the best. You know, there's a difference in, you know, how we present cases because, you know, a lot of times it's, oh, well, no one goes for surgery, right? Mm -hmm. And there are people where I talk to them about it and they decline it as well. And so it's a real thing and it happens. But a lot of times we kind of just mention it but it's just you think maybe there's not a confidence in sort of presenting that as an option like oh you could do this but but we can do xyz and if you give somebody an option of doing surgery or doing something just moving the teeth they're going to choose the teeth every time well of course but doing that fellowship really uh just kind of opened my eyes in terms of making it not a mystery Mm -hmm. and also seeing that it's really not that bad like the surgery is a real thing it's a serious thing anytime you put anyone in general anesthesia their risk, you know, involved, but it kind of took a lot of the the stigma away from this is, you know, it's too much. You have to get the surgeon involved, the medical insurance on. It took all that away. And it really helped me in terms of, you know, really offering that now to my patients. And I will add that some of the cases were not surgical, but they were something weird going on with it. So, you know, using tasks and all these other things that we would do. And so it really made it to where when I finished the fellowship, I was not 
afraid of some of these, you know, different or difficult cases because that's all I dealt with during the residency. Sure. And, the, and this segues nicely into a product that you actually sort of patented recently. Well, in the it's patent pending. Oh, patent we're, pending. Okay, yeah, we're, I'm we're, sorry. We're, I don't know. Maybe I need to get with your patent attorney to, to figure some things out. But we're supposed to be narrowing it down or, or getting close to getting this thing finalized because it's been going on for, I think, almost two years now. And as you know, after going through the whole process, it's not a quick wham-bam thing, but um, we're kind of figuring out. But it is a device that we are calling Lock-On. Okay. So basically, it is an appliance for orthognathic patients that are in clear liners. And it's one of those things where I talk to them about, you know, you need surgery. It's the best way, you know, to treat this. And they say, okay, great. Um, but I'm an adult and I don't want braces. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, we can do it with, with clear liners. Because the thing is to set the teeth up, you know, it doesn't matter. If you understand everything, you can get the teeth where they need to be. But then it came a time where it's time for the surgery. The hard part's in, in the OR, right? Right. And luckily in, in Charlotte, we have a lot of progressive uh, surgeons that are kind of on board with everything. But it's like, okay, she's ready for surgery. What are we going to do? Because I didn't want to put braces on because then you have to go a few months because it's really hard to put braces directly in the line, especially when you're going around a curb, and then to put a uh, stainless steel 1925 in you know stainless steel wire in yeah. and have it all passive it doesn't work that way you put the braces on you put a nice eye in and then you work up until your surgical wires well the patient shows clear liners because they didn't want to wear braces and to have them in braces for a month two months before surgery it's not something that they're interested in right. and then you know you have the tats idea where you can put a few tats in on the side but the surgeons usually charge an extra for that there's an extra healing that comes from that. Mm-hmm. And there's certain limitations in terms of the rubber bands that you can wear because they're only usually putting uh, four on each side gotcha. to just kind of, you know, work with the fixation or whatnot. Well, tads move a little bit too, They right? do. So if you're in the OR and, and... Yeah, because if you think about it, when you're doing an orthognathic setup, you're not diverging the roots for tads for the surgery. That's true. You know, you're not thinking about that. When you're doing a surgery case or a surgery setup... You're trying to get the angulation of the incisors. You're trying to get the um, arch width coordinated. You're not thinking right. about diverging roots for right. a surgeon to do surgery. Right. And so they're usually putting them in tight spaces. And, you know, surgeons are pretty aggressive. And they just kind of put it in how they can. And so there's a whole healing experience that come with it. So I thought, what if we could design an appliance that can just go on a few days before surgery mm-hmm. and have the surgery and then it comes off, clean everything up, and rescan for refinement. And that's when the idea came about. And I'm like, you know what? That will be great. Because, again, people who chose clear liners did not choose it to wear braces for a month or, or two months. Right. Okay. And so what this does, it goes on completely passive. It has surgical hooks on it. So the surgeons love it because it's almost like they're dealing with braces at this point. Okay. Because they're used to tying it, you know, they're, they're, um, splint in and ligature tying and all this kind of stuff. And they have these stainless steel wire, these hooks. It's almost like braces. So they love it. The other thing about it is when it's time to come off, there's no healing. You just pop it off of the teeth. It's great. And it's super easy. And it's easier to, hook up elastics which is amazing because sometimes you know those four elastics you're limited in the directions that you can wear you know the rubber bands and so having this on will allow you to really get creative with the elastics and so it was like you know what this is a great idea the amount of people who need surgery isn't changing okay but the amount of people who want clear liners is 
So if you think about from that perspective, you have the same amount of people who need surgery, but more people are going into clear liner treatment. Something has to give. And that's when I was like, you know what? This is the time to kind of interject this appliance and and I think it will be great. So we'll see how it how it turns One out. One of the things I love, Brian, is that it started with uh, just a simple question, what if? And that's sort of how I came up with the precision aligner buttons. I said, what if there was a button that fit within Invisalign semicircle cutout, just like a puzzle piece. And it was just a simple question. And so what I love about your invention, and, you know, I've checked out the patent application, it's almost a little reminiscent of the old arch bars, right? Yeah. That went in, but it's like a custom... Is it metal 3D printed or or how do you... So the the first one that I did uh, was with Neolab, okay? Mm -hmm. And I tried it with my local lab, but he didn't have a laser welder. So the thing that he sent back was horrendous. It was it was the worst thing ever. Well, so, Neo Lab is a great lab. Shout out to Christian Saruman. Yes. So the next step is once everything kind of gets through, and I actually try to make it a business, <laughs> and I Good. actually do something, is partnering with the lab so that it is something to where you send a scan in, it is designed digitally and then uh, 3D printed. So it's true CAD CAM. And it and it's ready to go. You put it on a few days before the surgery. They have the surgery. They do the, the healing. You pop it off and it's good to go. Because the thing is, you brought up the arch bars because that's another thing. Again, it's the healing. Right. And, you know, you're attaching that to the gums and the bone and it's just. But this looks, uh, you know, just for our listeners so they can visualize it. Same sort of intermaxillary fixation if you had an arch wire with crimpable hooks on there. But these are laser Mm -hmm. welded. And then there's, um, correct me if I'm wrong, there's like bondable pads that go directly onto the facial surface of the teeth yes and everything sort of bonded on and, right? and, it's, so, and it's, it goes on as one piece which is huge because one yes. thing that i didn't notice so there's an idb tray that that would be the ideal thing but the thing you know because it is made off of a 3d scan mm-hmm. it fits so the first time i did i just etched got everything prepared right. put the composite on the buttons and then it goes you just put it on and just cure it like because it, it fits it's passive it goes right on and it's super easy and so uh the having some sort of you know indirect bonding would would make it a lot easier but up until this point we have not not done that yet but what i was getting to is in the fellowship there was this huge deal about these surgical lugs getting lost Mm -hmm. so you put them on you crimp them onto the wire they get loose they follow out and for surgeons you know they have to do the whole count of how many gauze they had when they start they have to make sure that same amount of gauze is at the end all these different things right. where you go on these lugs and all of a sudden they're missing. Okay. We started with X amount. And now we aspirate a lot. Right. And so right. now they're taking x-rays, they're doing all this stuff. And it's like, it adds an extra layer of complexity that doesn't need to be there. Right. So when it's all one piece, you don't have that situation of a lug falling off or something coming off and aspirating. So it solves a lot of the issues for the surgeon, which is the biggest part because we're not doing the surgery. Right. So you want to make it to where it is super comfortable and convenient for the patient, but then also reliable and something that the surgeons can feel comfortable doing at the same time. And I think the appliance kind of serves both purposes. Can't wait to try it out. I'm going to have you help me with my surgical cases, but it's called Lock-On. And have you trademarked that? So I'm in the process of doing it. There is some company called Lock-On already. I, f- I think they make uh, tools or something. I don't know. But I, I, I think <laughs> I will. is more important, Brian. Come on. <laughs> I don't think I'll have a problem trademarking because we are two totally And it different. ties in with Lockhart, right? Yes, yes. Did I come up with that name? <laughs> I uh, I don't. We know were talking about going. this AO. A couple yeah, we years we ago. did. You you may have had some influence I'll take on that. Credit. I'll, I'll give you, you that. You probably probably did. 
When we come back, in just a moment, we discuss digital workflows, 3D printers, and systems for in-house aligner manufacturing. And trust me, you don't want to miss that time BMAC went on Family Feud. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from Lightforce Orthodontics. Dr. Alfred Griffin and his team at Lightforce Ortho have developed the world's only fully custom bracket system. Each bracket is fully customized based on your treatment plan and your patient's unique tooth morphology. Complete customization enables your cases to not only finish faster, but with even better results. Head over to lightforceortho.com to request your demo today. Mention Illuminate Podcast and you'll even receive some super cool Lightforce swag. Support also comes from Hip Creative. Ready to turn prospects into patients for good? Well, check out Hip Creative. Attracting new patients requires not just a plan, but implementation. Hip realized this and developed a program to integrate team training, transparency, and accountability into your individual practice. These proven strategies put you back in control of finding and keeping the right patients while organically growing your practice for long-term success. To find out more, visit hip.agency. Welcome back to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm Dr. Chris Seta. You may have heard that the Lockharts have a practice called Dual Image Orthodontics, but you may not have known that Brian's wife, Lauren, is actually a twin. So we all went to dental school together, graduated the same year. And of course, they had this idea that they would open a practice together, Mm -hmm. uh, Lauren and Lindsay. And, you know, they would do dual image because of both of their image, blah, 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 whatever you want to call it. But then in comes BMAC. Oh, (laughs) jeez. And so then it's like, okay, now we're going to open a practice, but it's still applied. And one of the things that we liked about it, and not to get cheesy or deep about it, but what we do with orthodontics is amazing. Mm-hmm. And you take someone who was shy or bashful or apprehensive or whatever, and throughout treatment, and when you finish, you give them this new smile and this newfound confidence or whatever, and they're a totally different person. And that's why we have a butterfly mural in our office as well, because it's all about the transformation. And you start off as a cocoon, and then you develop into this beautiful, right? And yeah, okay. if you think about a butterfly, they're beautiful, they're elegant, they're confident, they're, you know, it's a, it's a real deal. So it's kind of one of those things where we're taking someone from where they used to be, transforming them into something that's more confident, that's more beautiful, um, and it all just tied in. Since we opened our uh, second location with uh, Lauren's twin sister, Lindsay, um, so we have uh, ortho-only practice with myself and, and Lauren, and then we have the ortho general dental uh, office in Noda, which is where your beer's from. Um, where she does the general dental work and we do the orthodontics out of it, but the name still applies. And I learned this too recently that your other sister-in-law is a hygienist. Yes. Now she has not come onto the practice yet because one thing you have to be careful about is when you bring family in and you have disputes or issues, it can really go south quickly. Well, so I think we're kind of treading lightly with <laughs> <laughs> with that situation. But she's in Charlotte. Uh, she is a practicing hygienist. Uh, she's not with the, the practice, though. 
yet. But <laughs> I, I find this super interesting. This was probably about four or five years ago. All of you went on Family Feud with Steve Harvey together. Yes. Which was incredible. So what was it like being on the feud? Lauren and I were in New York doing our fellowship at the time. So we all came down for for Christmas. And uh, Crystal, who's the hygienist, she goes, let's make a video to go on Family Feud. <laughs> and we're like, really? But turns out they called us back from the video, which was a shocker and it was surprising. So we got down. There were families there that had been there, you know, all through the week trying to get on. And because they hadn't seen us, we had to do like a little practice run. We do our thing. And then we get called up first. Hmm. And I'm like, okay, so you have all these families that have been here for, you know, two, three days. People have done live auditions. All we've done was this little, you know, practice round and whatever video submission. And you put us up first. Now, the significance of that is. When you go first starting off the week, that means you're going against the reigning champ. Oh. So it's like yeah. you don't want to go yeah. against, you know, a, a family that's won two or three in a row because yeah. apparently, you know, they're good with the game. And so for us, it's like, okay, well, we're going against the champ. But listen, this is our opportunity to do it. And we went on. We did it. It was fun. And we won. And Which is crazy. Yeah. It's like, how, how did this happen? Like when you think back. On how all of this transpired. It was like boom, 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 all these chain of events. And then here we are, you know, talking to Steve Harvey on Family Feud, videotape on a nationally televised show, and we won. And then we did Fast Money. Well, let's pause for a second. Everybody has to go on YouTube, check this out. Rennick Family Feud, you'll find it. And you're going to see BMAC here on Fast Money. And my favorite was the final question. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> I do. But I think Steve asked, you know, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but uh, name something you don't like about the turkey. On Thanksgiving, when you're bringing out the turkey, and I'm paraphrasing as well, what would you not want on the turkey? So let's ask our listeners, what would you not want on your turkey? Yeah, think, think about, about the answer. Think about the answer. My answer is going to be the giblets. But your answer was <laughs> grease. The grease. <laughs> and I just had a laugh because I'm like, what kind of turkey are you eating? That, that's Listen, good. Usually it's dry. It is. Are you putting Crisco on your turkey? Listen, I have no idea where that came from. <laughs> but there, there <laughs> the is grease. an immense amount of pressure on fast money. Well, I can imagine. Because there's one thing when you're following along on the show and you're guessing stuff. If it's wrong, so what? Right. It doesn't matter. But when you're actually doing it and you're wrong, it matters. And so, and there's this whole Well, because your wife and your sister-in-laws were all staring at you like, we got to win this money. Right. Like, okay, we won. Go win this money. Because if you win uh, Family Feud and don't win fast money, you win no money. So Steve went, survey says, Greece. <laughs> and, and Lauren and Lindsay and Crystal, what was their reaction? You know, so I will say <laughs> this, okay, because that question was the last question. But let's not forget the first four <laughs> questions I absolutely smashed. So everyone has to go watch this. So, yeah. So please do. And I got 135 with my first girl. Well, that, I mean, that's pretty good. That's solid. I'll give you credit. That's for that. solid, right? <laughs> Even with the zero from Greece. <laughs> the uh, Greece. But it was, a, it was a great experience. It was awesome. And we got a lot of people coming in for good and bad, people who didn't even want orthodontic treatment. But just came in, oh, you were the, you know, the family on Family Feud and da-da-da-da. So we were kind of famous. Not famous, but... We were known a little bit. People wanted to, to meet us from Famous this show. in your mind, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's all that matters. 
So, uh, Brian, at this point, your Chardonnay is getting warm. Uh, we've talked about some heavy topics. We've talked about some funny topics. <laughs> One of the things that you're really starting to get known for is your in-house aligner system. You call this Dualign. Walk us through the process of 3D printing. Walk us through the pros and cons of ULab software, maybe versus ClinCheck. Teach us more. So, basically... What happened, uh, I did SAO one year, Okay. Um, and Jay Burton, uh, I think he's in Tennessee somewhere, but he was presenting on in-house aligners and 3D printing and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and it was really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, you know what, this is something that you know I want to look into. I ended up getting a 3D printer at the SAO that same year, mm-hmm. um, and I got back to Charlotte to practice, and all of a sudden... Align stopped accepting Trio scans. Now, the first scan I got was three shape. So they stopped accepting the scans, right? Uh And then they say, okay, but great, we we don't accept your scans anymore, but hey, we'll sell you our scanner for $16,000, which is a steal, which is a deal. And, you know, it was cheaper than what the scanner cost, but at the time, I think we were maybe two and a half, maybe three years in Mm -hmm. to our practice. Um, And we did not, yeah, we did not have that, especially when we just spent, I don't know, whatever the trios cost at the time we just spent that money on that and then now to do this and we have patients that are you know in it because i was all in on invisalign my second invisalign case was an extraction case you were big into invisalign yeah you know i I really believed in it and i still think it is a great software i think it's a great company i think it is still the gold standard as of now okay and i was all in and when that happened the bottom just fell out but i had just got this 3d printer just came off the sao um, and so I'm like, okay, well, this is the perfect time to try to figure it out. But I did get the scanner because at the time we were still um, using Invisalign. So we, we got the, the $16,000 deal, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Yeah. So now we have the Trios and the iTero. Um, but then I started doing some of these cases. And I started off with RCAT, RCAT Lab, which was good in the sense that it was the closest to Invisalign. Mm-hmm. But there were certain things that only the tech could do, like create space before you rotate this tooth or rotate the sixes and the seven before you bring whatever it is. And those are things that you can't do with the 3D control. The techs were worse than Invisalign. And I remember sending this long email while I was just so frustrated with them. And I mean, I was just... I couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And right around that time, that's when ULab launched. And I, I did the demo at the AAO, became a beta tester, and everything changed at that point. Yeah, ULab is a really cool software. And so at this point, you're mostly using either ULab or ClinCheck, right? Correct. So what are the pros and cons, you would say, of each software? Yeah, so again, I still think Align or Invisalign is the, the gold standard, okay? Mm-hmm. There's something to be said about having a ClinCheck that is fairly accurate based on what you're used to and your protocols and whatnot and having to tweak a few things here and there. Mm-hmm. The difference is the time, though. And I'll give you an example. So I have a patient who's in Invisalign right now that we're going to do surgery, who's going to get lock on. <laughs> Shameless plug there. Um, but you know, he came with four teeth already taken out. I don't know what happened to him and his previous orthodontist or whatever. So it was an extraction case. But anyway, we got the space pretty much closed up. Uh, he's approved for the surgery, but the surgery is only approved for a finite amount of time. Mm-hmm. And there were some certain things that I needed to do to get him ready for the surgery. And I'm on this time crunch. And so I take the scan, send it to Invisalign. I have to wait however long it takes to come back. They're giving me all these aligners. I'm trying to tell them, listen, shrink it because I know what I'm trying to do doesn't take this long. Um, don't worry about fixing everything. Don't do And it was just taking too long. So I scanned them, did it in ULAT, had them in the next week. 
with the liners ready to go. And for me, it's doing these little things. And so even if they send you something back and I need to do a small tweak, I still have to submit changes. Right, you know, it needs to be, right. okay, everything is good. That's frustrating. I, yeah, I just need to add this one attachment or just do this one tweak, and now I have to submit changes right. and wait for it to come back. And then after that, I have to wait two and a half, three weeks to actually get it. And so the biggest thing with ULab is the fact that I control how fast. Like, when I finish the setup, it's done, it's ready. I don't have to submit it to any anyone and wait for it to come back. So more control in the doctor's hands. Would exactly. You, would you say that? Because I get frustrated with ClinCheck. You know, sometimes I'll request maybe like a optimized deep bite attachment. And then I get this message back, the software will not yeah. perm- I'm like, give me a break. <laughs> Put the damn attachment on already, you know? That's Who's the word. calling the and, shots and, here? But I, I've gotten that when they've done it on a previous ClinCheck. So don't tell yeah, me you can't do it when you just did it on the, the first initial clincheck. So I know you can do it, so just do it. Exactly. And so I think that is the biggest thing. And the other thing that kind of led me into it, kind of going back to the story of how I got really heavy into 3D printing, is at the time when I said, okay, we're going to start doing this you know, for these minor cases and whatnot, we came up with a name. All right. And it was called Dualine. Right. D-U-A-L. I G N. Listen, the, the Chardonnay is D U A D U align. So do align, do align. You know, it's, it's like a brand, right? It's, it's on the website. Then I get this almost cease and desist letter from Align Technology. No way. And so I this is the story. part that not a lot of people know. And they're like, "Hey, you are impinging on our brand. We're looking at your website, and you're not a certified provider." And at the time, keep in mind, I'm gold plus, which is a step before diamond. And we get this email about you're not certified, you're not this and that. And I'm just looking at them like, you got to be, you got to be, excuse me, I almost cursed them, but I'm not. You can curse. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Like, I, I give you all this money. I'm using your, your stuff. And you're telling me that I'm not certified and I'm using a trademark wrong and you have X amount of days to do all of this stuff. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. A little over the top, over right? The top. Probably and a simple, like they could have reached out to you in a nice way instead of going through the it. attorneys, right? Or, or just address the dual line, which is right. the problem. But when they took it a step further and said, you're not certified, you're using our logo wrong and all this stuff. And I'm just like, okay, this is my opportunity to say, you know what? I'm just going to really go go all in. You have to always realize that the patient comes first. And you don't want to do anything that will, you know, not get the outcomes you want because right. you have your reputation in the community that you have to uphold. So we were still using Invisalign. And this stuff went on. Like, I would change something. They would send another letter. Well, you didn't do this. Like, they were really aggressive about this thing. And right. so we had to change our name. So it's still dual line, but it's spelled differently now. Now we have, you're not accepting trios, making me buy this new scanner if I want to yeah. use your software. Then you send me this letter badgering me about how I'm putting Invisalign on my website and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, you know what? This is the writing on the wall. If there's ever a push to go ahead and step away, yeah. it's now. And so, like I said, we still use them, but we started doing more things with in-house aligners, and it would turn out to where a patient only cared about certain things. So maybe they just wanted to close the, the gap in the front. But I saw they had a low-hanging upper left six. Mm-hmm. So I would close the gap, but I would also intrude the upper left six. So if it didn't work out, it didn't matter because all they cared about was the gap. But I would test different things out. Gotcha. And so that's when I working exactly. And that's mm-hmm. when I started realizing, hey, we can do this. We can do that. And once that happened, 
the light bulb went off and I doubled down on the printers. I said, we're going all in. This is our thing. Last year, 2019, I did, um, I think, six cases with the Mizline. Um, because at the time, I'm still doing extraction cases and severe open bites. Okay. And then uh, how many with your dual line system? I think we last year alone, I think we did just under 100, like 97. But out of the 97, I think probably around like 60% of those were like real comprehensive cases. Right. And because at this point, I've tinkered around with, with different things, different movements to see what can and cannot be done. And so I realized, okay, I'm all in and I'm, I'm trying an extraction case. So I have extraction and open bite, which are the two things that I'm still using Invisalign for. Gotcha. So if I see that this plays out, that's it. Right. Okay. And I'm, I'm going all in. And there's a lot of people that feel like, oh, you can't scale this. You can only get rid of Invisalign if you're only doing... 10 cases a year or you're doing this small amount but if you're doing a lot of cases you can't do everything in-house and that's a myth so how do you counter so why is that a myth so it's a myth because you can and this is not coming from somebody who is you know theorizing or you know hypothesizing i'm doing it Mm -hmm. and it's all about the systems now you can't jump in like when i first started i was not doing all these comprehensive cases but as time evolves and as you get comfortable you get your systems locked down you have the workflow that does it and and makes it work and you can do it and right now we have our team we have three printers and we have everyone responsible for a certain part of the process so not one person because that's another thing a lot of people say oh well i'm going to do in-house aligners and get this lab tech and it's going to work out but then what happens when your lab tech's out right right so not only do you have that okay because that's a big point Mm -hmm. if you have one person dedicated to it that person gets sick that person leaves right you know maybe this stuff is too much or like i'm not doing this and they leave you have a huge void sitting right there but the other thing is this person has to print this person has to clean the models. They have to cure the models. They have to suck down the models, cut the aligners out, polish the aligners, package the aligners. That's just way too much if yeah. you're really going to do it on a big scale. Right. So we have someone that prints. We have someone that suck downs and cut out. We have another person that polished. And so it never overwhelms one particular person. And everyone knows what they're responsible for. And so they get it done. And that's how you scale it. So one, you have to, that's manufacturing one-on-one, right? It's like the assembly line, Henry Ford. That's it. And you have to have the throughput with the printers to do it. And one of the things I want to address or talk about is the printers. Okay. Okay. Because for orthodontic models, you don't have to be extremely accurate. Okay. If you're doing a crown print and you need, right. And you need that margin. Exactly. Yeah. And you need the margins to be spot on for general. You, you need to make sure accuracy is there. But for orthodontics, I don't want to say it actually doesn't matter, but it's not that big of a deal. Now, so, do you use form labs or, or what printer? So I don't. So I have an Envision Tech Vita. Okay. Envision Tech or E1 is what it's called. And I have a Jewel. Okay. Okay. And so back when it all started, there was a case about the forms lab because it was super cheap. You can get into the game. It prints pretty accurately. But it's super slow, okay? And yeah. it, and one theory is, well, if you have a couple of them, it doesn't matter how fast the printer is because it's all about the number that you're printing. Yeah. Now, that made a little sense because the printer price was significantly cheaper than some of the faster printers. Hmm. But now, you have faster printers that are in the same ballpark as the form labs. 
So it doesn't make sense to go that route. Mm. You know, and, yeah. and so the, the biggest thing was you don't want to jump into this thing, spend all this money and realize you don't want to do it. Right. Which makes sense. I get that. But now that the prices are kind of in the same ballpark, it doesn't make sense. You know, I think to be fair, Form Labs, the, the Form 2 was the first 3D printer to come out that was really sort of in an entry level price point because it was around, what, $5,000. Yep. And I can't remember the other printers at the time, but they probably were at like 20. 24. Yeah, so for instance, okay. I got the Vita, which I would not advise. But when my very first printer, I paid twenty four thousand dollars for it. Yeah, so I mean that's a big investment it's if you're investment. dabbling with a technology that you, you don't might, even know. You don't even know, and some people may have gotten into this for retainers, not even doing the in house aligners, mm-hmm. and they may realize this is too much on the manpower manufacturing side. Right, I want out. So you know, yeah, and and that's why I I would yeah. not advise anyone to jump out and get a super expensive printer like I did mm-hmm. because looking back at it, the bill plate on that is, is sort of small, but I think if someone getting in, you don't need to jump that high up, but some of these printers, you get the printer, it shows up and they're like, good luck. You set it up, you figure it out and you have to join this Facebook study group to, to get all this stuff. And the ones I wanted, I needed to have warranty. I need to have support. I needed to have someone who's going to come up, set it up, train sure. me and my team to do it because again a more I, customer service right and because i'm not the person that's going to go in and really try to figure this stuff out and if you right. are that's fine so anyway uh at this point the chardonnay is it went from warm to hot uh we, we got to wrap this up final question for you bry yeah year 2020 crazy year a lot going on in the world what do you think orthodox will look like in 2040 tell us your predictions look into your crystal ball so i think as much as people may not want to realize it or believe it it's going to be digital and i know a lot of people are kind of like well you know we can do great results with the analog way of doing things and you can Mm -hmm. but i think the way things are progressing digital is just going to be the way to go in terms of clear liners in terms of so be more specific because i mean obviously things are going digital but like what do you mean particularly everything so everything so aligners braces and everything so we just started on with light force great company yeah custom 3d printed brackets i mean you think about adjusting the torque for every specific tooth instead of having, you know, generic torque and then you have to do all this other stuff that, you know, goes with it. Uh, tooth anatomy is out of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, indirect bonding those trays. So it, t- it cuts down on bracket placement errors and all this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it's where it's going. Embrace, you know, we have a lot of yep. cases going with Embrace. Um, it's a game changer. And so this digital thing is one of those things where you can really dial everything in. And that's why... I am all for it. And the thing is, once you have kind of entered the arena, mm-hmm. it's all the same. So in other words, if you're doing clear aligners, transitioning to Embrace is super easy because your workflow is the same. You scan the patient, you submit it, and you adjust the setup, and then they send you what you need to send. You indirect bond it. If you're doing clear aligners, whether it's Invisalign, in-house, or clear correct or whatever, you take a scan, you adjust the setup, they send you indirect bonding, even though it's attachments, but it's essentially it's indirect bonding. If you're doing light force, you take a scan, you submit it, you adjust the setup, they send you indirect bonding. So your work Workflow is the same. And the important thing about it is being able to adjust everything how it needs to be. And in terms of efficiency, in terms of outcome, you can't beat that. And I just really feel like from all facets, from lingual, labial, clear liners, 
it's just going to be digital and not just from the standpoint of everybody's just pushing digital or whatever. I think it's going to come a point where companies are going to realize that. And a lot of this analog stuff is going to go away. Almost like if you look at some of the things that were going on that are obsolete now. And so I think digital is, is just the way it's going to go. And I think it's going to be for the better. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you like the show, please take a second to click subscribe. Also, I'd really appreciate if you could share this show with your friends. Until next time, this is Chris Setta, signing off.